You're listening to The Revolution Podcast. Join us as we bust myths and challenge common assumptions, helping you to revolutionize your rooster experience. This week's episode is all about taming your rooster. The previous four episodes should provide a solid foundation as we tackle the question how best to raise a friendly bird, or any animal for that matter. So whether he's young or old, whether you've had him since day one, or adopted him later in life, we've got you covered. So I think we really wanted to get started by tackling one of the bigger myths out there that handling your rooster when they're young is what makes them mean when they enter puberty. Right. This is a really interesting one because this comes up all the time and it seems to be based on, you know, the experiences that a lot of keepers have had where they, like quite a few others, bring home these, you know, day old chicks and they spend so much time with them and they get close to them. And then these roosters seem to become aggressive, usually once they hit puberty, once they mature. So often just overnight. Right. It's not even a gradual thing. Most of the complaints we we see on these groups is that um, you know, my my boy was so friendly. He was my favorite chick. He used to perch on my shoulder and then he just attacked me out of nowhere. Right. And so what's really interesting here is that there's, I can't really say a little truth to that, but I can say that it makes sense that people are interpreting it this way. Um, because when roosters hit puberty, they have that rush of testosterone. They start reacting very differently to various things. They make a lot of bad guesses about what's a threat, what should be attacked, what they need to worry about. Uh, it's really just thanks to that change in perspective from being a baby to being the flock leader and often having really no experience doing it. You know, they don't have anything to fall back on. So they start assuming the worst about just about everything until they learn better. So, you know, the other side of that is is when when people complain that their their young rooster has just turned on them overnight, a lot of the responses that we see is that is either, you know, oh, you handled them when they were young and that's why they're mean, or it's an assertion that not handling them, you know, specifically distancing from them when they're chicks will lead to a friendlier rooster. And, you know, is that true or why would that be the case if it is? Right. Well, and it sort of makes sense, but friendly would be, I would argue, a bit of a misnomer. Um, It doesn't lead to a friendlier bird, certainly, Mm -hmm. but it might lead to a bird who you're going to have fewer unpleasant interactions with, at least in the short term. And this is because those birds who are not handled, they're going to grow up more wild, they're going to grow up more wary about people, and they're going to be less inclined to get close enough for these things to come up. And that may sound actually like kind of a selling point. Well, I don't want bad interactions to come up with my rooster, so why would I want to handle him? The catch is that the bad actions that come up for these boys at that age aren't actually aggression. They can look aggressive, they can feel aggressive, but at that point in life, all that they're doing is exhibiting, you know, various concerns. They're maybe making things like mating grabs, you know, where they'll come running up and latch with their beak onto your hand or your foot. And it definitely looks intimidating. And a lot of people mistake this as aggressive tendencies when really it's just a boy dealing with puberty, trying to figure himself out and feeling comfortable enough with his keeper to let you see that and get that close. Right. And the unfortunate consequence of distancing, you know, when they're so young is that since they are so skittish and, you know, avoidant, 
um, you no longer have that, that ability to easily catch them if they need treatment for an injury or illness. Um, and that just becomes a whole, a whole big inconvenience on its own, just, you know, just to avoid a few um, unpleasant altercations. Right. Well, and it strikes me actually just right now, I'm thinking of, you know, the example of like puberty for teens, right? And that comes with a whole slew of difficult, challenging interactions and uh, frustrating situations as well. And it's almost like, you know, a parent who sends their teen off to, you know, boot camp or boarding school, they don't have to deal with those negative interactions, but that bond is probably going to suffer too. You know, you're missing out on something by not being there, supporting them, remaining close to them, even if it does buy some temporary inconvenience, what we're looking for on the other side of it is that close bond where we're going to have an easy time working with them. They're going to seek us out for help. They're not going to view us as a danger. It's sort of an investment in the future in that we're accepting some more direct involvement with those struggles that we know they're going to have to navigate for the benefit of a much, much better relationship over the long term. Absolutely. And again, you know, I think that it's a, like you said, long-term benefit in, in so many ways that I think a lot of keepers don't even stop to consider. And this isn't even one that, you know, we're necessarily going to have to deal with in our specific situation, but everyone with mixed flocks out there who hatch out their next generation of egg layers and consequently get some roosters in there as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, they have an elder to look up uh, to learn from right they this is a, a benefit years down the road like every year down the road any new chick that hatches out is able to learn from that boy that you did take that time with that you did develop that bond with they're going to learn that humans are safe from an even earlier age and you're going to have an easier time with every future generation yeah, that's actually a really important point and one that I think a lot of keepers don't consider is that these are incredibly social animals and they do tell each other things, maybe not in English you know, or human words, but they communicate what's safe, what areas are safe to lay in, what food is safe to eat. Um, their entire flock existence depends on this kind of sharing of information. So when we raise a rooster who's going to give us a wide berth like that, it may bring a little bit of convenience that's some moments, but it's also going to mean that he's going to have a desire to keep his hens away from us. A lot of people, even if they don't want to get close to their rooster because they find that intimidating or they're concerned about risk of injury, they do want to be close to the hens, and he's the gatekeeper. Also, any other chicks, as you said, that hatch in the flock, they're going to be learning from those older birds what they should get close to, how they should respond to things. So it becomes this really insidious domino effect where that anxiety in that one flock leader is going to trickle down into everything else that you have to do with the flock. And he really is going to decide whether they're comfortable with you and close to you or not. Definitely. So the main takeaway there is, you know, it it really is worth the investment, you know, of time and, you know, temporary struggle um, to stick by them through those rough patches, you know, during puberty and, you know, through those mistakes that they make. When they learn from you that you are, without a doubt, safe and, um, you know, a, a, a source of security, um, not only will that 
last for for that bird and your relationship with that single bird but like we just said it's going to trickle down and it's going to be applied to the hens to the future generations of chicks and you you can really set yourself up for a wonderful experience for years and years to come yeah i mean it's not even unheard of for those boys who are close to their keeper to actually seek them out and tell them about problems so you know you see all the time how it's so hard to identify when something's wrong in the flock or there's an issue that you need to address imagine having a rooster who is going to actually alert you get your attention and direct you to those problems and we get there by getting in close with them by proving ourselves to be a dependable source of help And so what can happen so easily during puberty with these boys is that they're not aggressive, they're not mean, and they're not angry with their keeper, but they are very comfortable um, expressing themselves to us. They're very secure. So in the same way, you know, that a human often will indulge in, you know, kind of worse behavior, um, kind of show those bad attitudes more clearly to people they're close to than strangers. It's the same kind of thing. When they act this way with us, what it's really a sign of is a belief that we will be there for them, that we won't judge them for it, and that they're safe to express themselves like that. It's, in a way, kind of a compliment, actually, um, when they do things like grab our feet or let us know when they're upset. It does actually indicate that they have a deep trust in us because they're not fearing that penalty or those repercussions. Um, But this can turn around very, very quickly if we misinterpret this and we turn on them. So what they start out doing is really just trying to express to us they're having a rough day, they're feeling upset, they're feeling worried, any of these things, or just trying to sort out how to interact with us in the first place. Or just being completely blind to their own actions. I mean, honestly, you know, for maybe several months, you know, maybe even up to a year or more um, during that puberty phase, what we've seen in our boys and what we've heard from others as well is that, you know, when they... When they do things like mating attempts or, you know, that knee-jerk response to attack something that they are, you know, unfamiliar with, they really, really do check out completely. Like, they are not, they have no idea what they're doing. And you can see, you can see it in their eyes, you can obviously see it in their their body language and, and their actions, but um, you can see that that they are not themselves and then that instant that they snap out of it and they come back to normal it's obvious not just again in their in their body language but like we can see it in their eyes and they almost look shocked at themselves sometimes yeah there's a weird almost emptiness um if you watch very closely in these moments it's like they're not calling the shots anymore they're completely being automated by that instinct and you can see that they've sort of left the building um if you watch very closely it becomes really obvious when they're not feeling themselves and they're not in control so this can be a really potentially damaging situation because what we have now is we have these birds who have been conditioned from hatching to believe that humans are their friends, they're dependable, they can be themselves around them, count on them, trust them to be good to them. And then they make one of these mistakes, they lose themselves, they misinterpret something, and the keeper sees it as an attack and lashes back out at them. And this can result in a rooster who is aggressive. But it's not because the handling made him that way. It's because that bond that he actually really did value seemingly has been betrayed. 
So he's going to be responding now to a perceived close friend suddenly and inexplicably becoming an enemy and a danger. Yeah, I mean, imagine literally going unconscious and you don't know what's happening while you're unconscious, but you wake up and then someone is immediately attacking you. You don't even know why. Like, that would be, it would be so devastating. Well, and furthermore, you know, if you think of an example of, say, you know, a stranger breaking into your house and robbing you versus a person that you've been married to for 20 years, taking all of your things and vanishing, you know, one of those is going to leave a much bigger impact because something much bigger has been lost in that situation. So these keepers who have their birds at arm's length, you know, if they react to them that way, it's probably not going to leave that deep of a scar emotionally because there really wasn't a relationship there to begin with. But roosters absolutely can hold grudges. They can feel resentful. They can have hurt feelings. And they tend to lash out when they do. So when we do things like this that communicate to them that we've just abandoned them, things tend to escalate really quickly and go really bad. It could be avoided, but it requires that understanding and commitment to them and that patience. So really all of these things that we initially view as a negative action that they are taking against us, we should be viewing instead as opportunities, you know, opportunities to strengthen and reinforce uh, the bond um, and and the, the fact that we are a friend, we are their keeper, their caretaker, um, you know, whether I guess whether or not you want them to be a pet or livestock, whether even if you you don't necessarily want that deep friendship, if you don't want to be best friends with your chickens, you know that's that can still be understandable, and there's still a good reason to sort of seek one out anyway, because um, there's a lot of practical benefits, as we said, um, both short term and long term, um, and so viewing every bite, every kick, every misunderstanding as just that, a misunderstanding, and therefore an opportunity to correct them, help them learn that, you know, we are not a threat, that what we're doing is not a threat, and that they can trust us and be comfortable around us really just strengthens that bond. Right. Absolutely, it does. And it's one of those things where they're always going to be going into this at first with just uncertainty. So all of these things that they do, they really are just trying to learn. There isn't any grudge there unless we've done something to train or reinforce that. When they act so inexplicably, you know, we hear all the time that they just attacked for no reason. That's an indication to us that we did not do anything to prompt this, which should point us in the direction of understanding that it's something on their side, whether it's a misunderstanding or something that just caught them off guard or an attempt to confirm safety, we can confirm that it's not anything we did. And that means there's something they need to be shown. On on that note, you know, just something so, you know, I guess obvious to us, but not necessarily obvious to everyone, but they recognize their keepers. They recognize faces, um, you know, within their flock and their caretakers. Um, and they know the difference between you and what you're holding. They know that you, your hands don't always have something in them. And so when they do, that might, you know, um, put them on edge or make them insecure or make them concerned for their safety. Um, if it's the wrong color or shape or size or how you're using it, it could set them off. And, you know, it's, I just want to 
really reiterate that we have to take a step back and try and see it from their point of view because something as simple as a coffee tin that we bring the food out in can be enough to make them feel unsafe. And as soon as we can identify that as the cause and not take it personally, we can, you know, do something as simple as put it behind our back, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's out of view and that's all it takes. And the boy will calm down and you can go on with, you know, filling their feeders. Absolutely. Not taking it personally is such a big part of this because they live in a world where they are, they rely on snap decisions. They can't sit around evaluating these things and weighing options the way we can. Um, that's going to equal death in most natural situations. So if something strikes them as even possibly a little bit concerning, they're likely to react in a big way to that, at least until they get enough experience and that confirmation from us to help them see that it's not a problem. I mean, I'm being reminded right now of when our boy Ginger was, gosh, probably about six months old, seven months old. Um, I always went out in a ponytail so that we wouldn't have hair falling in the run that they could ingest and get tangled around their tongue um, because I'm a paranoid mom. So always had my hair in a ponytail, was basically always upright in their run, and we never had any issues. And one day we had some grass growing in a, um, a planter that was enclosed with a hardware cloth ring and I wanted to pick some for them. So I leaned way abnormally over to reach this grass and that caused my ponytail to flop upside down. Ginger was just a couple feet behind me when this happened. And all of a sudden this thing of hair just comes flopping over in his face and he made a kick at it. Fortunately, he missed my head. I just felt his foot brush my hair. Um, But it was nothing to do with me. He wasn't recognizing that as me in the moment. All he knew is this alien thing Thing that he's never seen before has just moved towards him and he reacted instantly. Um, and I learned not to lean over suddenly in front of our roosters. But it can really just be something as simple as that. And it can be so easy to be hurt by this and to feel like they were looking to harm us. But in 99.9% of the cases that I've seen, It really is just this communication barrier. It's this attempt they have to indulge in to play it safe. And avoiding taking risks is really what it comes down to. So we always try to look to any time that they do anything rough, any time that they attack, um, because of course our boys were hand-raised and handled a ton as chicks, and they're about the sweetest uh, guys on the planet. But they still have their moments where they get worried about something or they're frustrated about something, and they let us know that. And we just try to see every single situation like that as them attempting to tell us that they have some problem something is wrong in their environment, something is being misunderstood. And we see it as our role to help bridge that gap, show them that everything is all right, and basically demonstrate whatever it is that we need them to see. If they're incorrectly interpreting something as a threat, it is our job to demonstrate that it isn't. Definitely. And so, you know, to sort of wrap that up, that's every action that they take that might be misinterpreted is an opportunity for us to reinforce our role to them but also every action we take is another opportunity for us to reinforce that same thing to them it doesn't even have to be initiated by their method of communication it doesn't have to be started by an attack or a a misunderstanding Um, 
you know, oftentimes a, a chicken, rooster or hen will not go so far out of their way to tell you that they're, they're hurting, you know, that they have an injury or an illness. But if we notice it, and we don't just shrug it off and, and you know, say, oh, they'll, they'll be fine, they'll heal from it. If we take that as an opportunity to, you know, bring them inside, to inspect them, to show them that we notice that injury, you know, big or small, really, um, you know, just a, a, a scratch on their leg or, you know, something as bad as like a broken off spur or a big, you know, flesh wound. Um, if we prove to them that we are attentive enough and caring enough to to not only notice it but take our time to address it um gosh that it's it's so powerful it's it's such a it, it's such an indicator to them that you know not only are we safe but we are helpful we are actively helping them heal you know potentially quicker or you know we're helping them relieve pain right, right. I mean, we become at minimum a very, very valuable resource that they're going to want to keep around and keep close. Um, but I think more likely we become an actual trusted friend at that point. And this is the thing, you know, it's so easy. Like we can feel this when one of our birds has some problem or injury and we're able to rescue them and we're able to help and make it all better. We feel that bond strengthen just the same as they do. Um, but it's important to recognize those emotional injuries or problems that they might have as an opportunity to help in the same way. So when we see them limping and we go, oh, your leg is hurting, let me take care of that. And then we feel so good that we did something about it for them. When we see them flaring or attacking or pecking, that's an injury in the mind of some kind. So we can do the exact same thing and say, I can see that you're hurting mentally. Something is upsetting you mentally. And how can I make it better? This actually makes me think of another sort of myth, sort of half-truth that, you know, certain breeds are predisposed to aggression or aggressive behavior, right? Um, and what we've found not only in one of our boys, Maymay, but through talking with other keepers in, in the Facebook group Rooster Allies, you know, um, the the boys that tend to be more quote aggressive or more on edge all the time have a lot of other things in common it seems and it is likely more a anxiety driven issue and this actually has a, a very interesting um cause or, or source, I suppose, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's been the only study that I can find into this was done to try to identify whether there's a genetic driver for increased aggressive behavior. I can't remember off the top of my head um, which breed it was they were studying. It wasn't one of the ones that people typically regard as genetically aggressive, interestingly. But they did find a genetic component here. But what it was was that the boys who showed the worst signs of aggression, the more aggressive tendencies, had essentially a deficiency when it came to processing dopamine. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's interesting because this does support that there is something genetic potentially going on with the boys with these behavior problems. But when this gets brought up, it's said almost in a way that there's just a way to be born a jerk. And 
that's really a gross oversimplification of what's going on. Um, what's it would really... never be so grossly oversimplified in humans. Right. A human born with a, an inability to process dopamine, you know, would be understood and, you know, shown compassion and right. um, more tolerance. It would be regarded as a disability yeah. and we would be looking for ways to compensate for it and support them and help them to achieve a higher level of normalcy. And so the same thing applies here. If you look into the side effects of something like insufficient dopamine, um, that's going to result in things like mood swings, for instance. If they are too low in this, too much dopamine can result in things like anxiety and humor humans at least, um, hallucinations, high levels of energy. And so we apply this, we look at a prey animal who's going to have this natural fight or flight response to any very intense situation. If they're in this state where they do have something more like chronic anxiety, where they're feeling like things aren't okay, they have this just general sense of uneasiness or impending doom or danger all the time, um, it makes a lot of sense that they might respond by attacking much more willy-nilly. They're just mm -hmm. on that hair trigger already all the time, and any little thing might make them feel like it's confirmation that there is a problem. And of course, this is all based off of, you know, studies into how anxiety impacts humans, simply because nobody is looking into this in chickens. The best we can do is draw these parallels. So what we know is that these brain chemicals are varying um, within chickens and the way that they operate. We know that they do similar things for them. And we can look to the many, many studies into human psychology that show us how that feels being in that situation. But in the same way that a human can be supported with something like anxiety through all kinds of supportive therapies and measures, these anxious boys can be supported in just the same way. Um, setting aside time to decompress, you know, just holding them, giving them a moment for everything to kind of quiet down so they can reset, recover, center a little bit and be better able to cope. So these things are really much better seen as potential disabilities or just individual strengths and weaknesses that we should not necessarily be judging them for or assuming they can do anything other than that without help. Um, it really may be something that they have no say over either. They don't like it any more than we do. And if we can come together and we can support them and assist them with this, that can just really catapult that bond through the roof. Absolutely. And, you know, just to maybe put this in a, a little more perspective, you know, when we say that we're, when we compare these things to studies done in humans, I think most of us probably jump to thinking of adult humans when, you know, when we talk about these disabilities and, and the ability to treat it or, you know, deal with it. Um, but it's not even that the rooster is comparable to an adult human dealing with this chemical imbalance in their brain. They're a toddler dealing with an, a chemical imbalance completely out of their control and they don't have, you know, the the resources or the, the knowledge and experience to to compensate on their own. You know, they're unable to communicate in the same language as their caretaker um, and they're they're dealing with this huge disability. It's it would be overwhelming and they need they need right. extra support. 
Absolutely, they would. And it's important to note, too, that this isn't just like a handful of rare cases. You know, we're not talking necessarily about this crippling anxiety that a small percentage of people or roosters might have. Every single one of us falls somewhere on that anxiety spectrum. So if we see a boy who's just slightly more prone to attacking than some of his siblings, it doesn't necessarily, again, mean that he is a mean bird. It might mean that he is less able to cope with that stress and manage it effectively on his own than his brothers are. Um, but we've absolutely found that there are always these supportive measures that can be taken. And just as with humans, once they're getting that help that they need, everything settles down, everything becomes so much more manageable. So it's just kind of a good example of why we should be open-minded about these drivers and not be content to just simplify it down to, well, he's just nasty or ill-tempered. Because really, even when it comes to humans, when a human is being nasty or ill-tempered, it is always the consequence of something in their upbringing, something individual to them, something that happened that day. But it's never for no reason. It's always a sign of some kind of fear or trauma or struggle that they're dealing with definitely so at this point you know we we're probably asking ourselves you know how exactly then or how do we move forward if you know if we're open to interpreting things differently and you know not taking their attacks personally and we want to work with them what what's the starting point Right. Well, and that's where things get tricky for a lot of people because the temptation when you start seeing this sort of thing is, of course, going to be to keep a greater distance, be around less, um, sort of withdraw to avoid injury, to avoid uncomfortable situations. Really what's needed is to dig in. Um, because they will absolutely take it personally or wind up hurt or sullen or resentful if they feel like they've just suddenly lost their friend, too. Even if you don't lash out at them and you sort of just disappear in a large part, they're going to be upset about that. And roosters tend to express upset through attack. They've got kind of a limited repertoire when it comes to how they let us know that they feel like something is out of sorts or needs correction. So very often the attacks will be used as a way to tell us that they're unhappy about something in their life. And that can be the fact that we're not holding them anymore. We're not around anymore. We're not sitting with them anymore. And of course, this can become a vicious cycle very, very quickly. So the best thing to do really is to safely double down. If they do something like latch to your foot or bite, don't take that as a sign that you need to stop going out there and being around them. Put on those sneakers, put on some thick leather work gloves, get back out there and make sure that they know that you are sticking with them through thick and thin and that they actually can count on you and use those moments as a teaching opportunity where you can help kind of guide those interactions. Gently lift up your hand if they try to bite it and say, ah, oh, gentle, no bite, or whatever you need to. And they're going to be looking to that and they're going to be learning from it. I mean, just to illustrate this example, um, our boy Ginger, when he was going through the bitey phase, all of them actually were going through that bitey phase with the mating attempts. And little by little, you know, they would come around and they'd settle down from this just one by one. While they were being so bitey, we were keeping them more out to the edge of our lap by our knee where they wouldn't be in range of faces. But as they started coming around and getting better about this, we started letting them get back close to our chest, closer to our shoulder or face. Um, just kind of trying to be sensible and bring them around as it appeared safe to do so. 
Well, we got to a point where all of them but Ginger were getting to cuddle right up against our chests because they had calmed down. Ginger, on the other hand, was not only doing some of the mating attempts as well, but he was also frequently whipping around and snapping at our hand when we pet him on the back. And of course, as sensible people who value our eyesight, um, we chose to continue to keep him at the edge of a lap because it seemed like a very, very bad idea to bring him any closer while he was doing that. And so this continued for a while, and we started to notice that he would do things like stand two or three feet away while the other boys were cuddling and just stare silently at us. And occasionally he would release this little tea kettle-like whine that you just couldn't help but hear us complaint. It just, it sounded like he was crying about the situation. The entire feel that we got from him was that he was heartbroken about something, feeling overlooked or ignored or rejected. And finally one day, it just it had been breaking my heart for so long I decided you know what I'm just gonna cuddle him like I do the others I can't take it anymore if I get pecked in the eye so be it I do not recommend this full disclosure go about it a little more carefully um, but what was fascinating is that he did not peck me in the eye he soaked up those cuddles didn't make a single attempt to snap and did not resume that at all after it literally stopped on a dime so it turns out he was trying to tell us he wanted to be closer by ripping at our hands with his <laughs> beak every time we touched him. Now, again, any logical person is going to feel like they need to pet them less and be less close in that situation. But it's so important to remember that the way they express these complaints is not always logical. It's also important to remember that, again, every boy is unique mm -hmm. and different and yours could be expressing this in a different way. Absolutely. And it's always, always important to do these things safely, test these things safely. So, you know, if they're kicking at different clothes or shoes, or you don't even know what they're kicking at, you know, bring a tote lid with you, bring something like a trash can lid and just have it there. If they start going into a kick, use it to be a shield. Don't push them with it. Just hold it still to take those kicks. If they're biting your hands, put on layers, put on gloves, you know, test these things out, but try to have a fierce commitment to sticking around. Um, see each of these interactions as a challenge to overcome and losing is going to be letting yourself be pushed away. So you want to get in there, you want to be strategic and you want to find creative ways to remain close, remain safe and reinforce to them that they really can count on you. And if you do that, once they do get out of this hormonal period, they are going to mature into some of the most trusted, bonded, affectionate adult roosters you've ever seen. And one thing I just want to mention here, as you're considering how you're going to approach, you know, maybe your problem boy, um, I guess it, it matters how many you have. It matters what his position is in the flock. Um, it matters because a head roo will respond differently to being picked up and put on a lap versus a a lower route in the in the pecking order um i think what we have found with our boys and they've you know changed positions three of them now of the four have been head route at some point um, and it's been consistent in all of those times and we've heard the same from other keepers but a head rooster has such a sense of duty that even if he needs you know special handling special consideration um, just be conscious that any sort of confinement picking him up holding him in place even if you're trying to send the right message 
um, might just make him feel too restricted, too unable to do his duty. It might even embarrass him in front of the hens. And that can that can result in sort of a, a step backwards that you don't want to take. So there's sort of a, a custom approach that's needed. And the answer isn't always, you know, pick them up and cuddle them. <laughs> right. Well, and that kind of gets into the next subject that we wanted to talk about, which is a little bit more along the lines of how to tame down older boys. So let's say that you miss that window, you know, of getting in early and bonding with them as chicks. When you have them as chicks, all you really need to do is not damage that relationship. You know, you get to kind of establish it easily and maintain it as long as you do the right things. But when it comes to older boys who don't have that relationship already and you need to bring them around, it's really important to look to their perspective on the situation. As Jacob just mentioned, you know, if this is a head rue, he's going to feel a really strong need to be able to respond and respond quickly if there's a problem. He's not going to appreciate feeling hindered, even if it is for something pleasant. But even furthermore, a lot of these boys, when we bring in them in as older flock members, they're starting out very unsure of our motives. They're in that prey animal mindset. They're going to be fearful. They're going to be skeptical of our intentions. And they're going to default to wanting to keep a distance, wanting to kind of avoid that interaction since they're not really sure how it's going to go. Yeah. And just, you know, touching back to the example that you gave on, on Ginger and the time when he was really snappy. And so we distanced and, and he took that, he took offense to that. Um, he was not head Rue at that time. Uh, Maelstrom was head Rue. And so I think that Ginger, you know, since he didn't have that overwhelming sense of responsibility, felt like he was missing out. However, during the period of time where Ginger was head Rue, he he elected to not be close and cuddle like he had wanted previously. He he still hopped up on our lap, but as soon as we would try to embrace him and you know bring him close <laughs> for a hug, he would squirm and wriggle out and, and jump down. And then he'd come right back around and hop on our lap, but he would sit down as close to the edge of you know the leg, as close to the <laughs> knee as he possibly could. And you know, he was content with just being pet at that point, you know, but that allowed him to feel like he could get down if he needed to address something, he could keep a better eye out for predators. Um, and, and we just had to learn to respect that. Right. Ironically, the exact same position that caused such offense previously <laughs> um, became his preference. So it's not even really like he just wanted one particular placement only. It was he wants to have the full spectrum of options. He doesn't want to feel cut off from or forced into any. And that's the thing, you know, so if we have these older boys who are starting out thinking that we might be a danger, feeling apprehensive about things, the number one thing that any prey animal is going to fear more than anything else is that loss of autonomy. It's that inability to react the way they feel they need to. Um, they pretty much have an okay shot as long as they can get away, they can move, they can respond fast. But the moment that they're captured or they're being restrained, they're at the mercy of whatever is doing that. And so this can make it obviously very tempting for them to stay out of situations where that might happen. Obviously, we need to get them close enough to see that it won't happen. Um, Don't mean to interrupt, but, you know, this makes me think of a lot of examples I've heard reported um, where, you know, a boy is acting up and the keeper picks them up and carries them around, you know, um, 
under the assumption that that will develop a sense of safety or security or at least trust in the keeper that you know they might be being held but they're not being hurt and that that's going to develop that bond but what you also hear in a lot of those cases is that you know when my boy kicked me I didn't respond badly I picked him up and I held him like you know just like I was told to do um, but he was just shaking the whole time he was just quivering the whole time should I keep on holding him and my answer to that would be absolutely not he's quivering and shaking because he's being conf- you know controlled con- contained um, right you know it may have just required a a different approach one that doesn't involve actually picking him up and not allowing him to get away Right, exactly. And so, and this is the thing, you know, in the same way as like the observation that young ruse become problematic um, when handled regularly, it's kind of like there's a little bit of truth here, but it's being viewed from the wrong perspective. Um, It can calm some boys down, I guess you could say, um, it's kind of a misnomer again, just forcing the handling. People do it because they do see an impact from it. Uh, They wouldn't do it otherwise. But what's really happening is that that bird is sort of just becoming resigned that they're helpless. So yes, they might get to a point where they don't fight against that and they tolerate it, but this is actually a radically different thing than true trust and desire of their own to be close. And we can have the latter. They actually do really, really want that close relationship. So, so much. I think all of them do. But that fear of capture, that fear of loss of autonomy is a really, really big hill for them to get over. Um, So the question, I guess, becomes how do we help them with this? If this is the situation we're going to be starting in and finding ourselves in, what do we need to do to get them to come around and feel actually comfortable with that situation. Well, and it's a pretty simple answer. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily a quick fix, and it's not <laughs> necessarily <laughs> the the most convenient answer that uh, we all, we'd all like to hear. But um, it's little by little over time, right? It's right. Reconditioning. Um, with baby steps. Exactly. And there's actually a word for this. Um, when it's used in humans, uh, it's actually frequently used to treat things like obsessive compulsive disorder or certain types of phobias, or I believe even PTSD. Um, but this is kind of a modification on what's known as fear extinction training in humans. And what this is, is it's a very, very gradual, very constructed and strategic exposure in small doses to whatever thing it is that that person fears. And the intention here is for them to get opportunities to see that that exposure does not result in anything frightening or negative. So when we look at translating this to roosters, Again, roosters fear capture. They fear an inability to react or respond. They fear initially getting close enough to open themselves up to that danger. So we want to go through, again, these baby steps of, you know, recognizing that getting in reach of us is going to be that first fear. Little by little, we can use things like traits to get them comfortable being close so they can see that nothing bad happens. From there, we actually kind of want to set up just very, very small moments of discomfort or worry simply for the purpose of letting them go off and do their thing and see that they were allowed to. So it's ultimately respecting their their comfort zone. Um, that's the underlying and you know overwhelming rule mm-hmm. that we have to follow in kind of all of the interactions. You know, whatever you're dealing with is 
and we touched on this on the previous mm-hmm. episodes, I think, as well, but like respecting their comfort zone, not ever expecting them to tolerate something that they that would make them uncomfortable or feel unsafe. Right. As much as possible, not imposing our desires or preferences or logic, you know, over theirs, not looking at their responses and saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. We're going to do it my way. Um, And sometimes as their guardians, we do have to impose our will. You know, if they're injured and they need to come inside and be caught, we may just have to do that. Wow. But that, you know, and then that brings you back to why you put this time in in the first place. If you can (laughs) build that trust and you respect their comfort zone all of the other time, if they are allowed to escape all of the other times and you have to, you know, restrain them in order to treat them, they will... You know, they might squirm, they might struggle at, at the beginning, but if you maintain that calm energy, that calm voice, and, you know, they'll come around to realizing that you're trying to help them and that even though you are restraining them, um, they are still safe. Right, exactly. And they're going to recognize that this must be a very serious situation. If you're ignoring their wishes and their communication, it must be pretty dire. Um, Because they've then, of course, been conditioned prior to that, that you do respect them and you're going to go off of their cues. So in a weird way, it's like we need them to have that tiny bit of worry pop up in their brain that something may go badly from this interaction. But only long enough for that to occur to them so that we can shatter that fear by immediately not doing the thing that they're afraid might happen. So, you know, with our hens when we were taming them down, what this looked like was uh, once they got close enough to us, we would pick them up, we would set them on our lap and just try to stroke their neck feathers one time before letting them jump down. And what we were conditioning was not being handled. We were conditioning the freedom to escape. And we needed them to feel like they might not have it in order to see proven that they still do. I mean, let's just put it in a little bit more accurate perspective for people um, who may not even be able to get close to their chickens. You know, um, when we adopted the three, you know, Sunshine, Lotus and Topaz, Mm -hmm. they they were very skittish. Yeah. And we we couldn't even reach out to them (laughs) without them running away. And that's the first step. The first step is reaching towards them and they run away and you're okay with that. And then you do it again a couple minutes later and they Mm -hmm. see that nothing happens. And slowly, you know, after a week, let's say, they'll be more comfortable getting closer to you. They, They know you'll probably reach for them, but they can get away. And then one day they'll be close enough that when you reach for them, you're able to touch them. And that's it. That's all you're going to accomplish on that day is mm-hmm. you made contact and, and they, they run away. away. Yeah. And <laughs> you, have, you have to be happy with that. And it is a it can be a slow um, process, but that's what shows them that your intention is not to do something against their will. You are you're trying to do something and they don't mm-hmm. understand it yet, but you're reinforcing that they can trust you to not do what they don't like. Right. And then eventually that'll lead to, you know, you <laughs> you stroke them on the back and they run away. And then that the next step is you reach out with two hands and they run away. And then you're able to touch them with two hands and they run away. And then you're able to, you know, gently put a little pressure on both of their wings and they run away. And then you're able to lift them half an inch off the ground and then they run away. And it could be... <laughs> This is all before setting them on their on your lap and stroking them once on the neck and then they run away. 
Um, <laughs> well, and it's worth <laughs> it baby though, steps, right? It's worth noting that they are very, very fast learners. Every single time that they get this opportunity to see that they're still safe, that's going to make a huge, you know, dent in all of this. And I suppose it comes um, down to how much time you have to commit to this, right? right? So if you're able to spend hours and hours a day, you know, you're you're going to be able to go from step one to step ten, you know, possibly all in the same day. Whereas if you only have 10 or 15 minutes a day to do this, it could take a few weeks. Right. Well, and it comes down to the individual too, you know, just kind of as maybe an example that could be informative. With our three girls, um, we, after starting this, we were just sitting out in kind of a pen, smaller area where they couldn't get too far from us for an hour each day. It was strictly, specifically an hour every single day. Um, and we would just sit and be present. We'd bring them treats. We'd let them eat them a few feet away if that was their comfort level or drop them a little closer over time. And again, we started this once they were willing to at least pause beside our legs as we sat on the ground with them. Um, and from there, one of those girls, no joke, it maybe took three days before she stayed on her own and even laid down. The other two took a little while longer to come around, probably just individual temperament. But these days, you cannot get rid of them. <laughs> All um, three of them are are more cuddly and and, and seek out you know, lap time and, and pets and cuddles more than our two girls that we raised from day-old chicks. Yeah, they really do. One of those girls, the one who came around first, uh, will follow me around as I scoop the run and dig at my ankle with her foot until I crouch down and pick her up and hug her. Um, she also knows how to ask for more hugs by dragging her beak on my shoulder, and she'll nip quite hard, actually, through my <laughs> jeans if she's not getting attention quickly enough because, you know, someone else is being held. Um, all three of them, though, are just joined at our hip and completely fearless, completely, totally secure. And it is because they just have this unshakable conviction that if they need something, if they need to leave, even if that's just to get a drink of water, they know we're going to let them. And that is the crucial thing. They need to know that they're not going to lose their ability to react if they let us do this. And I know I, I said I would be doing this uh, more and more, but <laughs> I, I have to say this again applies to any animal. Dogs, cats, any kind of bird, wild animal or domesticated animal. Um, if you want to make a friend with a wild bird, you can use these same methods, right? You can go out on your porch and put some seed nearby um, <laughs> and that will attract the birds to get closer. And then, you know, gradually you put the pile of seed a little bit closer to you and they will gradually get more comfortable coming close to you because they know that you're not going to do anything. And then eventually, and I mean, you're, your mom and, and stepdad are a perfect yeah. example of this. They now have wild birds that land on their, their hand, right? They, yeah. When they're sitting out on their porch. And we'll come and shoot them looks through their glass yeah. doors if they're late bringing them seed. <laughs> they're quite demanding, actually. Yeah. But but really, you know, it does come down to this. It comes down to understanding how they're feeling in the situation and sort of pushing that boundary just the slightest amount. You want them to have that thought in their brain that, ooh, this might be risky, this might go badly, so that you can have them immediately go, oh, it was fine. It didn't. And then the next thing is just a little bit more of pushing their comfort zone and they're going to go, oh, this might be bad. Oh, it wasn't. And little by little, you're going to get to the point where they recognize, hey, it's always been fine. And that's where you get those confident birds that just are all over you and have no concerns, no desire to be rough or 
you know, impatient with you. So really, I mean, it's going to come down to each individual boy, but every single time that they do something to indicate to us that they don't like something or they're frightened of something or something's making them uncomfortable, those are golden opportunities to use this kind of technique and to make that an opportunity to show them that they don't need to worry about it. The more we're forcing our preferences onto them, the more they're going to feel captured and suppressed and victim and all of these things that they are conditioned and instinctually inclined to really go out of their way to avoid. We just don't want those things connected to ourselves in any way if we can possibly avoid it. Definitely. So, you know, if you if you want to get close to any animal, but if you want to get close to your rooster, if if you want them to understand that you want to get close to them, you you have to project that, right? Not only through your actions, but through your emotions, through your 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 vibe, right? Your energy. Um, they can sense intent, right? Um, and I think this this is kind of an instinctual thing. Uh, if you think about you know any prey animal and how they respond around other animals, um, you know a a fox off in the distance, right? Mm-hmm. Versus a deer. Um, grazing and passing by um, a prey animal is not going to be concerned about the deer because the deer is not intent on doing anything to the prey animal they're they're not making eye contact they're busy with their their foraging and grazing Um, and the fox on the other hand is going to be staring at the prey animal they're going to be locked on unblinking you know gradually moving closer and even if it's only based on body language, even if there is no no vibe or energy that they're picking up on, um, it's it's incredibly important that we project that right intent. Right. Well, and I would actually even go so far as to say that I think there is somehow a vibe that they're picking up on. I mean, they're just, they're so intuitive and they have to be to so quickly evaluate what other things intend to do to them or whether they intend to do anything at all. Um, When you consider something like a fox who's, you know, intent on harming them versus a deer who just wants to live and let live, there really is an enormous difference here. And it does come down to whether that individual or being is seeing them as something to exert their will over and use to their ends, or something to allow to call its own shots, you know, live its own life and just kind of coexist. And so anytime that we find ourselves in these positions where we're kind of in a battle of wills and we're trying to get them to do something that wasn't their idea, that is understandably going to feel potentially predatory to them because they're going to correctly identify that our concerns are more about us, our convenience, our goals in the situation than they are about theirs. And that's really actually a kind of dangerous situation for any being, humans included. Um, None of us really like that either when we feel like our concerns or our needs are not being equally prioritized. You know, that's going to make us feel very threatened and very fearful also. Mm -hmm. So in a weird way, the more we can prioritize that, you know, look for those ways to show them that we care very much about Um, their feelings in the matter and what they're trying to do and facilitate that, that's going to make a huge difference. And it might, you know, it might mean that something is a little bit more inconvenient, a little bit more time consuming um, in order to show them that. But it really does pay off in the long run. You get a more cooperative friend 
that may want to do something different than what you're asking, but will more quickly uh, choose to cooperate because you have given them that autonomy previously. Like our boys, you know, they don't free range all day, but we let them out um, to peck around the yard occasionally, and and they thoroughly enjoy that, don't get me wrong. And some days, all it takes is me walking back into the run and you know, calling them over, like, come on, boys. And they will all perk up and they'll be like, okay. And they come right back in. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then other days, you know, they, they're like, uh, no, I'm not done, you know, pecking at this plant yet. Um, and, and I just have to wait. And it might be 30 seconds or another minute, which, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're in a hurry, that can seem like a long time, but ultimately it's, it's so much better in the long run to, to give them that freedom, to let them finish what they're doing and just ask them nicely, you know, come on, buddy, come on, it's time to go back in. And you can, you can give them a couple taps and indicate like, okay, it's time, it's time. And, <laughs> and they will choose to comply. You don't have to herd them or, you know, uh, corral them in. You don't have to make <laughs> them do it. Um, they, they will comply with, with just the request as long as you're respectful. Right. It's reciprocated always. Yeah. And, and they never lash out at us. You know, those times where maybe they're trying to get into something they can't or shouldn't, you know, and we have to scoop them up and sorry, we're going back to the run. There's never any sign of animosity or frustration over that. It's just kind of like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> but, you know, even the one of those uh, girls that we had to tame down who was not at all socialized, she is at a point now where we can literally just put our forearm out and say step up and tap you know her wing gently or even without the tap a mm -hmm. lot of times she understands what that means and she just kind of runs with it so when we need to take her to bed she's actually temporarily staying in the house right now when we need to take her to bed at night we just put our arm out and say step up and she politely climbs on lays down and off we go it makes everything so much simpler um right. i've joked kind well, of that we just will ask sunshine if she wants to go outside or come in and really confused um, one of the kids recently saying that. And I'm sure he thought mm. I had lost my mind. But but no, you actually can ask her and she knows how to tell you what she'd like to do. And sometimes she tells you that she doesn't want to go. <laughs> sometimes she says, nope, it's not time yet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if we put our arm out and say, step up, it's time to go to bed and she's not ready, she will <laughs> she'll act like she's about to step up and then jump over our arm. And it <laughs> is. It's very clear, like, uh, nope, it's not time for that. And, uh, but, you know, give her a couple minutes and yeah. ask again, and then she's completely cooperative. Yep. And every time, you know, it proves our trustworthiness that we will listen to her and we will consider her feelings in these matters. And you might think, you know, that they wouldn't really be able to recognize that, but I think it's hardwired. I think for any being, we understand when we're being considered and we understand when our worries are taken into consideration when we're being valued, you know, just all of this is really at an instinctual level. And even if they can't understand the exact words we say or the ways that we show this, that sentiment is going to come through. So as long as we're in that right frame of mind and we are genuinely considerate of how they're going to be affected, whether they're going to be frightened or uncomfortable, they're going to detect that and it's going to really speak to our credit and in our favor with any future interactions. And this is a compounding database. You know, every time we get an interaction like this, it just strengthens that relationship. Absolutely.
So after all of that, we, we haven't really given you a step-by-step -step method. <laughs> we haven't given you a playbook necessarily on how to tame your rooster. Um, it's more of a mindset, right? It's more of a, an attitude we have to adopt. And if we can understand why we need to view things this different way, then it's, it becomes a lot easier to implement it. And, and it's not a necessarily one size fits all or, or one method works for all. Like we've said multiple times, you know, the boys are, are individuals. Um, every animal is an individual and, and you're going to have to tweak that here and there to accommodate the individual you're working with. So it's, it's less about do this and it will work and, and more about understand this and you can find what works. Right. This is the foundation and these are the general principles that um, are going to be the best starting point you can possibly have. But from there, yeah, there are these cases where, you know, something a little bit weird is going on. Take, for instance, rescue boys with unknown trauma in their past and things can get complicated. You know, um, every single bird is going to be more or less complex to work with, and they're all going to have their own variety of factors playing into this. I do think that in the majority of cases, this is all that's needed, but there are those boys where things are just a little more nuanced. And this is actually one reason, you know, that we help operate the Facebook group Rooster Allies. We also always make ourselves available if someone's dealing with a very complicated situation with their boy, or they're trying these things and they don't feel like progress is being made. We are always available via email email. Happy to consult with you at no cost um, just to kind of take a closer look at what's going on and weigh in and give some more customized options that will be tailored to that individual bird. So this is kind of a start here, see where it gets you. Let us know if you find yourself needing any more involved help and we're always happy to do that. Um, Yep, definitely. You're welcome to reach out to us via email um, and we'll try to help you one-on-one, -on -one, but we, we highly recommend joining the group because, you know, we'll be there to help you and we'll see your post and be able to respond to it and give our input. But um, so will every other member that has their own experience that could apply more specifically to your case. Right. And of course, members, you know, are always vetted. We always make sure that any advice given falls in line with the particular philosophy, you know, of trust building and actually understanding what makes these boys tick and supporting them in getting to the best place possible. So no need to fear any kind of irresponsible or bad advice there. We watch things like a hawk. <laughs> no <laughs> pun. Um, but that's definitely a good place to reach out. And there are members there who have really, really detailed experience with some very extreme situations situations too. Yeah. So you just, you get the consensus and you get those, you know, really kind of expert voices who have dealt with exactly the kind of thing you're dealing with. And I'll go ahead and throw out there, um, we can put that in notes if that's available to us. I honestly haven't looked to see if Spotify will let us do this. I know YouTube will. Um, but the email you can reach us at is jointherevolution at gmail.com. Revolution spelled exactly as it is in the show name. And we're always happy to help in any way that we can. So never hesitate to reach out if you've got some more detailed questions or you need some help adapting any of this to work with your flock or your boy. Uh, we're always happy to dive in and assist with that. And the Facebook group is Rooster Allies. Right, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll try to put any links we can, uh, whatever it'll let us do.
Well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Um, Thank you again for joining us. Thanks for listening. And we do hope to have you here again next week. Absolutely.